Welcome to another podcast from Cranfield, where colour is like no other. And I'm joined today in somewhere very exotic by someone very exotic. So, um, Robin, first of all, where are we? Well, that is a really good question, Michael. Um, We are in central Massachusetts, USA, in a small enclave known as the Pioneer Valley. Northampton is the main town, which has tons of colleges, universities, Amherst, which has got a major university. Springfield is the capital of Massachusetts, I believe, but... And is also the home of the Simpsons, I gather. Yes, yes, Springfield, yes. There are many Springfields in the U.S. And it's a lovely little town, and it's the home of ZMA's printmaking, which is what brings us here. And so we're meeting here, and I've used your first name, Robin, but I haven't told uh, listeners, Robin Smith, of course, who's well-known in the printmaking world with various hats, Uh, And a little later, we're going to be talking about Print Day in May. But if I were to describe you for um, people who've not yet met you or come across you, I'd probably get it wrong because I'd call you a New Yorker and you'd say, no, I was schooled in New England. And if I said, well, you're from New England, you'd say, well, I'm from uh, uh, the San Francisco area. So so where do you live now? How did you get there? How would you describe yourself? (laughs) Well... I would describe myself as a New Yorker, which Mm. is odd, because I left New York at age 16 to go to Rhode Island School of Design in New England and was there for four years and then moved to California. So I've been in California way longer than anywhere else, and that is the Santa Cruz area south of San Francisco. And your life was as an art teacher, particularly um, teaching printmaking and also as a printmaker yourself, but... In the last, well, you tell me, how many years has Print Day in May been your uh, love and passion? Well, I began Print Day in May at Monterey Peninsula College as sort of a fun thing to do on a Saturday afternoon 16 years ago. So we are celebrating our Sweet 16 Mm. this year, which in the United States and Canada is a Big deal. I'm not sure about in the UK. Yeah, 16 would be a probationary period, probably. Yeah, it would be quite, quite sure. No, no, but, <laughs> but for this, because it's, I, uh, we ought to explain that Print Day in May really had no equal. It was your vision to inspire not only professional printmakers, but amateurs, people who'd never tried before, from schools to uh, studio spaces, to have a bash or at the other end produce something remarkably beautiful and intricate on the same day of the year. So when is that day? It is always the first Saturday in May. Yep. It coincides with the Kentucky Derby. Okay. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) And really we decided to do this. It was me and a bunch of women from the Monterey and Santa Cruz areas because a lot of people had begun to get their own presses out of my I ran a program at Monterey Peninsula College, a print program, and so they had all gotten their own presses and they were starting to dissipate. And I was like, no, stay in the fold. So 16 years ago, we said, well, let's all print at our new presses. I'll open the college. 
invite some people mm-hmm. and we'll print and make phone calls and call each other and um, that's how it started. Because I've lost um, touch with when technology developed 16 yeah. years ago there was Facebook it probably was but do, you, uh, you didn't start like that it was no, very much you no, sent, no, no, send no. each other pictures. We just started by sending each other pictures making phone calls you know those who were off campus were drinking their mint juleps and watching the derby yep. and then the following year we said well that was so much fun Let's do it again. We'll do it the first Saturday in May. We'll call it Print Day in May because it rhymes. And at that point, we'd had more guest artists had come through the school. Um, Many of us had gone out and met other printmakers. So we just started inviting people that we knew and said, hey, why don't you join us? And then the technology kind of mushroomed. And... Fairly quickly, we started putting it on social media. And so how far has that gone? I can say from our own point of view, we as a company at Crownfield, we take part. Simply that everybody the team in the team has a, has a bash at producing a plate. We always, um, as you know, we make ink for a living, um, but we don't often use the stuff. Right. Um, and so we don't put ourselves forward as, as knowing how to, to do use ink uh, artistically in a professional way so we always have great fun with it a couple of years ago uh, our print day in May contribution as well as being a serious sponsor to it would, was to put in quite a flippant but good fun interpretation of the of the notion around a printing plate yes. so all of the staff made a plate out of raised cardboard stuck onto to other bits of cardboard and each of them it had to be a plate of some kind, so somebody may do uh, egg and chips. Yeah, the bacon and eggs cutlery was great. And, and, and you <laughs> yeah. know, so that was the, the theme. So we uh, are involved in, in terms of the uh, prints that we put up on on Facebook and on the website as non-professionals uh, from uh, our factory in Wales. Where, where are people contributing from around the world? From everywhere. We have about eighty countries that we have. We know we have participants from. Yeah. We actually have all seven continents covered mm-hmm. because a couple of years ago we got penguin footprints from Antarctica. Wonderful. So we, yes, we are in Antarctica. Yeah. We'd like to get the space station, but okay. we, I've been trying, but I haven't quite gotten there yet. But uh, some of our largest uh, geographic areas where, where I guess the, the most population of printmakers that are contributing would be Canada, Australia, the UK. United States. One year we had a ton of people from India. Mm. Um, What's happened, you know, it's a very loose thing. So people post either to our website, we have a blog site, so one can do that. Um, One can just put things on Instagram, on Facebook, or do nothing and just know that they're making prints. So it has the flavor of it has changed every year. You know, in 2020 during lockdown, it was like a lifeline for people. Um, and then in 2021 and 2022, things shifted a little bit. Now, theoretically, we're all you know COVID free, yeah. and so we'll see what 2023 brings. But along with sort of the state of the world and the state of printing. We have the state of social media, which changes all the time. So there was this incredible sweet spot about three years ago where the algorithms had not changed yet. And we were able to get a lot of traction just by putting things out. But now we're being asked to 
pay for yeah. everything. Yeah. And so I think our posts are not reaching all of our printmakers in India yeah. and you know other places. So it's, it's every year we just don't really know until it happens how many people Who's will be engaged. participating. Yeah. Your, your goal of um, reaching the space station may not be as outlandish as you think on the aircraft on the journey over to the States um, yesterday. Um, I sat next to an engineer on one leg of the journey who was telling me that he was, his line of work is in uh, the um, printing, through 3D printing, of precision parts oh. for uh, medical machinery. But he said the technology is also used so that uh, eventually for the, those up in the space station, if they need a particular bolt, well, they will send the data up so it can be printed, printed. 3D up there. So, so maybe knows? it's already happening. So it may well maybe, be. maybe we can just claim it. Yeah, it may well <laughs> They're be. They're printing in space uh, well, today. Let's hope so. Let's oh hope my so. God, I love um, that. But just going back a moment, you mentioned obviously the, the, the um, pandemic, which has affected our lives so much. You've uh, um, seen printmaking change. Do you think it had a particular role? And during COVID, and uh, uh, why was printmaking? Because um, we certainly saw that as an ink maker, we saw yeah. people wanted to print at home. What, what was going on there? Uh, uh, well, it was interesting among people I knew. Um, everybody, people who didn't, who were not artists, but had always had an interest in something, were yeah. all crafting. Yeah. Everybody was crafting yeah. the first six months, but most of the artists I know couldn't work. We were just, you know, we were paralyzed. Yes. And it took a while for people to start working again. And printmaking is such a, often a collaborative pursuit. That's what Print Day in May is all about, celebrating that collaboration. So it was hard for some people who are part of shops and academic programs who didn't have their community. Yeah. But places like ZMAs, mm -hmm started pivoting to Zoom right away. And I did a little of that myself at Blue Mouse Studios, and I could have done it every day and had people wanting to be there with me on Zoom. It was, people were so hungry. And a lot of people who had been working under the tutelage of others had to learn how to work on their own. But I think that eventually when the pandemic just became the way our lives were, people, you know, a lot of artists started working again and started doing some really amazing things yeah. that, you know, the disruption um, caused or helped along. Because that's interesting. You, you used the, um, the differential between you as a professional and the hobby crafter. Mm -hmm. And I remember reading, it was shortly into um, the pandemic, an article in a British publication, and it was written by a relatively well-known British painter whose style is photorealism. And if people are unfamiliar, it's an extremely accurate form of painting. Sometimes there's a mm -hmm. twist put on it. So um, uh, one example of photorealism, maybe somebody looks at a, a, a high street view in the curvature of a chrome um, hubcap of a car. Right, right. So it's incredibly detailed. Yes. And he wrote, he said of his own work 
that when I look at my own uh, photorealistic uh, uh, paintings, I find in the current climate it's as a rather unfunny joke. Mm. And he just couldn't, couldn't do he it. couldn't do it. And so, yes, I think a lot of professionals did struggle. Either they felt that they couldn't imagine ever anybody wanting to have the work or indeed themselves it seemed too much of a of a, a decadent luxury or something at a, at a time of such disaster. You know, I think it, it was a concentration issue for a lot of people. I know for me, I stopped reading. Yeah. You know, here I had all this time to finally yeah. sit down and read because yeah. I love reading yeah. and I, I could not sit yeah. for an hour. Yeah. So there was that. And a lot of, you know, professionals who are making work are making work in response to the world. Mm -hmm. Just that's what they do. Yeah. Whether they consciously do that or not doesn't matter, but they're doing that. And so to go in your studio and start working and start trying to process everything that was happening was just too much. Mm. It was like, I'm going to go take a walk. Yeah. But then when people did get back in the studio, I think amazing things happened because... Uh, People who didn't really, who hadn't up until then worked on their own, learned how to work on their own. I'm a painter as well as a printmaker, so I have no problem working on my own. And there was nothing that I had to do. So the permission to be a complete studio rat and never emerge and never change my sweater was, you know, fabulous. But it took a while. And so the, the, that was for your professional outlook. And I suppose um, almost diametrically opposed to that was when you probably through that adrenaline hit of the shock of uh, COVID couldn't work. Mm, that was very hard. The alternative or the opposite was that for someone who was leaving uh, a secular job, if I can use that phrase wrongly, right. um, day to day, uh, which which pulled them to time because because that was secular meaning, isn't it? The the term second is in there. Um, the, they then had masses of time, didn't or couldn't go into their ordinary day's work. So for them, artistic expression was the relief absolutely that, that you found from your your work, perhaps. Yeah, it was so, very interesting. I I remember people saying. Oh, artists are so lucky because they just have all this time now to do their work, mm. and you know, and I'm really loving all my crafting. And I'm like, yeah, well, a lot of artists are starting to cook. Yeah, you know, yeah. we're all cooking. Yes, we're looking at the New York Times every day, and we're trying every new recipe yeah. because it's a it's that a your... mindfulness versus mindlessness yeah. versus you know, just a different way of trying something new than so, still being creative. And so when a sense of normality began to come back again, um, I ought to also explain that as well as uh, having retired to a certain extent from uh, university and college teaching, as well as print day in May, as well as your own discipline as a printmaker, you also have uh, the, the Blue Mouse Studios, right. which you run which is a, an intimate space where people will come in in relatively small numbers. Yes. Um, so you, you, you saw that, I assume, take off again. People are coming back into and And yeah. the, the, are they professionals or, uh, who are restarting or are they um, amateurs who are carrying on where they left off or are they people Both. who discovered it for the first time? All. In? Okay, yeah. All of the above. Yeah. Um, 
many people who really had no idea that they were interested in art became interested in art mm. through maybe crafting and mm. then they get a little bit more serious or they their horizons expand and suddenly they find themselves looking for printmaking yep. and here's Blue Mouse Studios. There's that, there's professionals who just want some community again. There are people who sort of stayed in their lane for three years in terms of what they do and are now coming, you know, blinking into the light and saying, I want to try something different, you know. And then there are people who just really want to keep working and they're looking for a a fun thing to kickstart them in a new direction. And all of these people, you're signing up and getting involved in Print Day in May, I trust? Yes, everywhere I go, I've got little cards saying, okay, if you like this, then yeah. print with us. Yeah. So, yeah. so where, where would you like, you know, legacy is a big phrase, uh, you know, in, in 100 years' time when you're no more. Um, <laughs> what would you like the legacy of Print Day in May to be? I would love it if it just was a date on the calendar that people just did, Yeah. you know that uh, people just made, just devoted themselves to making prints on the first Saturday in May. You know, part of it is just, it it goes back to sort of, um, well, I'm from California too, so a little hippy-dippy kind of situation of, you know, you put positives out into the world and positives come back. and, And nobody is happier than when they're making prints. I mean, that's just... A wonderful experience and so to think that there could be 50,000 people and that's probably a relatively uh, correct number all over the world within this 24-hour period doing what they love that's sending a lot of positive energy out there and it is astonishing that you speak of 50,000 people attempting printmaking when 25 years ago Printmaking was on its knees. Absolutely. So remind us, what, why was 25 years ago, why was printmaking on its way out? Why, why wasn't it embraced? Was it the cost? Was it the safety? What was, what was going it on? It was a combination of things. You know, I went through, I'm pretty well educated. I have a lot of degrees. None of them are in printmaking. Mm. I didn't mm. do any printmaking when I was in art school or mm. in graduate school. Mm. I started much later. But the reason I didn't... Mm was that it was so complicated and so toxic and so um, unnecessarily prissy Mm. (laughs) in a lot of ways because it was our way as humans to to reproduce something over and over and over again exactly this was prior to kinkos on every corner so what is kinkos kinkos oh sorry it's a copy shop right you know yeah, we it's called it we pip printing or, yeah, listeners who right. would be just, you know, uh, alarmed. yeah, I mean, we had, uh, you know, mimeograph machines yeah. in, in school, but now everybody's got their home printer yeah. and everybody can reproduce material in a second. Yeah. So printmaking, when computers became you know, started really taking hold, people were saying, oh, well, the computer will do this. Now we really don't need all this, met, you know, toxic sludge and who needs that anyway? And so all these print shops were selling their equipment and it was really, like you say, it was on its knees. Mm-hmm. 
But I think what happened is that artists, artists like a challenge. Yeah. And suddenly there was all, there were all these presses out there that people were getting a hold of and saying, well, what do I do with this? Meanwhile, the toxicity of things started to be reduced. And the computer became a really interesting tool to then marry with traditional printmaking. And so it, I think both sides exponentially increased their, um, the interests of artists. Yeah. I remember you and I talking, I don't know how many years ago, and it was at the advent of digital technology and wide format um, printmaking. And I remember uh, the discussion going along the lines of that wide format printing and other digital technologies are not necessarily a threat Right. to existing printmaking and it was a conversation that I then continued back in the UK with a lecturer friend and he agreed and he helpfully pointed out that actually it may help the best of the students to take digital technologies and inform traditional methods with them. Absolutely. And he gave the sort of, uh, it wasn't a calibrated uh, statistic, but he said that if I have a, a class of, of let's say 20 students and uh, he's a similar age to us, so he was talking of perhaps 25 years ago. Uh, of those 20 students, 10 would be adequate, 5 would be truly awful, 3 would stay in bed, and you'd never know either way, and 2 would be brilliant. Yeah. And then along right. came digital, and the risk was, apart from the 3 who never turned up because they were in bed, the rest of them could look moderately sort of similar because it's hard not to be impressed by a daffodil that can cover the whole side of a building for example sure. so he said what was happening was the best of the students were taking the uh, origination capacity through digital technologies uh, mixed media all sorts of stuff but they were then going with that and going back to has that been your experience absolutely too? yeah yeah i i think that's really true and i think that a lot of just really, I mean, it's interesting because there's a generational schism, obviously, in people like us who know just enough technology to get ourselves in trouble. Mm. <laughs> and then there's the ones who have grown up with it and can't imagine. It's just like using a big pen for them to do everything they do. So that mixture is, you know, we're coming up and you can say against each other or we're embracing each other. Yeah. And I think we're in a sweet spot right now. Yeah. Eventually, we'll all die out and it'll just be people who have always had this technology. And then it'll be interesting to see if some of the old ways still interest them. Yeah. But right now, there's it's like 50-50. Yeah. So we're able to teach and, and share the hand. Mm and um, and what that feels like with people who are coming up and might not ever have done that. And it was a sweet spot, wasn't it, that I, I suspect that if um, more uh, non-toxic printmaking, for example, if uh, other developments hadn't come along when they came along, mm -hmm. that almost it would have been too late, given another 10 years. I think so. Yeah, I think of the sadness. I remember 15 years ago visiting uh, a college in Vancouver and the... A professor who took me around showed me an empty room and said, this is where our 
printmaking presses used to be. Right. And somebody from health and safety or somebody probably doing quite a sensible uh, look at how many students were enrolling for courses, I don't know what, decided they can all go for scrap metal. That's and right. now the college was having to save and scrimp and, and uh, beg uh, for kit uh, to, to restart. To restart what they and have. I, you know, so for some it was too late and they're having to, to go uh, for cost. But I wonder if, um, as I say, if it, it lasted a little bit longer, it may not have um, had any chance. Yeah, I think, I think that's true. Um, I think, unfortunately, I've seen not just in the school where I taught and built a print program, but in a lot of schools right now, even though professors like me started amazing programs that became huge international successes with print exchanges across the world and all of that for about 15, 20 years, there's suddenly this crunch in higher education, at least in the United States. And small schools are really having a hard time and for they're really just promoting STEM education mm -hmm. so for example when I retired in 2018 mm -hmm. I was not replaced mm -hmm. so my school not only does not have a full-time printmaking teacher mm -hmm. they don't have a full-time two-dimensional studio arts teacher mm -hmm. I ran the whole thing mm -hmm. and it's it's just broken up into adjunct teachers now. And it's gone from something like three or four printmaking classes a semester with workshops almost every week to one class. Mm -hmm. So they've got all the equipment that I purchased, yeah. but uh, I'm hoping that doesn't just all get dispersed at mm -hmm. some point. You know, the pandemic has, has really affected higher education in a um, really sad way. So we'll see what happens. And the sad thing is that that is happening whilst at the same time um, students from the developing East are coming no longer just to learn STEM subjects but are wanting to learn the right. arts because right. they realise that a grasp and a love and, and a fascination of the arts is the bedrock for uh, innovation and Certainly uh, is. Uh, development and design and, and architecture and, and uh, so many other things that bubble up from that. So you're no right. longer, you're not, not copying, but de developing. And, uh, yeah, yeah, problem solving. Creative yes. problem solving is what is needed yeah. in every field. Yeah. And that's what you start with in two-dimensional design yeah. as a freshman. So tell me, how do we learn about printmaking in Print Day in May, rather? Where do we look? What's in terms of websites and that sort of thing? Well, you can go to printdayinmay.com, yep. which will give you everything, all links to everything. Mm -hmm. You can find us on Instagram, Print Day in May. You can find us on Facebook. We have a Facebook uh, presence, but we also have a Facebook group that you can join mm -hmm. and post yourself. Yeah. And we've got a YouTube channel. So we're kind of everywhere. We're not TikToking yet, okay. but uh, just because, you know, we're just not yet. You're not, okay. <laughs> you, you don't need to apologize. Yeah. So, so if, for example, I'm, I'm going to, I'm not, let's say I'm not a printmaker, I'm going to do my first uh, little press 
uh, a little uh, print rather this um, year. I'm going to either print a drain cover, roll it up with ink, and or Perfect. I may do a bit a lino cut or something. Yes. Um, I then photograph it with a mobile phone, mm -hmm. and then I go on to the whatever uh, pl platform I'm, I find most suitable, and I upload. Yep. Um, it's the delight of taking part. There are even some prizes, aren't there, that some there a few are. people get. But it's, that's less of the motivation. It's more it's just... It's less a, of the motivation, but it's a wonderful thing because yeah. we have sponsors such as Cranfield Colors and ZMA's Printmaking who give prizes yeah. for uh, posted material. And what you can do is just, uh, again, if you go to our website, it explains everything. But we have about a dozen really quality sponsors. In uh, Some of them are supply houses. Some of them are print shops um, or uh, the California Society of Printmakers, the Boston Printmakers, the LA Printmakers, so print associations who are giving prizes. But basically, if you tag those organizations um, from whom you want to get um, you know, possibly a prize, then they will, at the end of the event, look through everything and award prizes. Mm -hmm. So it's really nice because it connects. I mean, that's the thing about the printmaking community. It's a community starting from, you know, that first person who wants to roll up a, a yeah. you know, anything that they see on the wall and make a print of it to, you know, professionals who are taking the day to finish an edition. Uh, it's just wide open. And I mean, I've had, I remember when a friend of mine, wanted to participate one year but she had to go to a party and yeah. so she just kissed her margarita glass and yeah. sent up a photo of the lipstick and I'm like hey it's a print yeah. you know if you've got material from one surface and you get it onto another as far as I'm concerned that's a print. That's a print. Yeah. So yeah. yeah. Well, thank you so much. Um, I'm Michael Crane of Cranfield. I've been talking to my friend Robin Smith uh, here in the States about Print Day in May. Um, so many of us are very grateful for Print Day in May. It's such a, a, a fantastic idea. I also think people with a gambling problem that would want to spend their money on the Kentucky Derby are grateful because <laughs> yes. you've saved them from that too. <laughs> Tremendous thanks. Lovely catching up with you. Thank and you. Every success with the um, initiative both this year and in the years to come. Thanks, Robin. Thank you so much.